You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 15, where we talk with my good friend, Joe Wilson, on out-of-state DIY hunting trips. Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? It's Thursday. Hope you guys in the Midwest or wherever you're at are finally unburying yourselves from a winter. I've been on some travel recently to the Midwest. Uh, Let's see, week of April... 15th through the 20th and I was I was still in blizzard conditions (laughs) so I feel your pain man so if you're listening to this you should come out to Colorado where it's 65 and sunny and beautiful and come join me come have a beer with me that'd be that'd be cool right but if you can't join me at least we can converse or at least you can listen to me talk on the podcast (laughs) for an hour so again, I hope you're having a good day. Today's episode was a fun one. I actually recorded this about a month and a half ago, early March, with my good friend and hunting partner, Joe Wilson. Went to high school with him, uh, shared a house together in college, and we've went on a number of out-of-state hunting trips. All whitetail so far. I'm still trying to coax Joey out to the west here, and he intends on it, although uh, the past past year or two he's been going through um you know newborns and and kids in the house so that i can understand puts a stick into things but um but yeah so we're talking out of state diy hunting trips and joey is just a good guy to sit down and talk with anytime but since he's my friend made this episode much more <laughs> exciting and fun he's a funny dude love talking to him and we really just cover the basis because what I feel is whether you're going whitetail hunting or antelope or mule deer or elk, wherever you're going, the process for planning and scouting and kind of getting ready for that hunt, it's it's all the same, right? Or, or it's similar in a lot of ways. So even though that we talk a lot about our whitetail trips that we've been on over the years, the process and kind of the steps that go behind that. Are similar, so I hope you guys learn something from that, and you can apply it for your upcoming trips this fall, because tis the season. Hopefully, you guys are drawing tags, 
you're you're planning out maybe it's over the counter hunt maybe you're not getting into the draw this year or you're just applying for points in some states but either way we all got to start thinking about the upcoming season because we're only <laughs> we're only like three four months away from from elk season it's it's going to be here and then whitetail falls right after that in a lot of states as well so let's let's not waste any time before we begin though make sure you are subscribe to the sportsman's nation podcast network if you like what you're hearing um, all you got to do is hit the subscribe button super easy and if you're liking the episodes make sure you leave that five-star review it'd be much appreciated make sure as well to to note that there are two feeds one is the whitetail feed the other is the western big game feed i am currently on both for a while but you know, I am going to be transitioning over exclusively to the Western Big Game feed. So make sure you subscribe there so you get all the latest episodes from moi. Much love, much appreciated. And check out all of us on Facebook, Sportsman's Nation, on Facebook and Instagram, Transition Wild, Facebook and Instagram, all that good stuff. So let's get Joey on the line. <laughs> we did start off with, with a little, little bit of humor and a few ex- excerpts as we were getting ready for the podcast episode. I was trying to dial in volumes and get everything to work properly, and I was just recording, so we left a, a little bit of that in there, and you can hear the real side of Joe Wilson. All right, here we go. Ready? Go. Betty Botter bought some butter, but she said the butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter, but a bit of better butter will make my batter better. Amateur auctioneer extraordinaire. Oh, God. Uh, reading things off from my notebook sheet, making snippy comments. I'm so funny. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the other thing. I've got a number of different sponsors that paid me to drop some, uh, <laughs> drop some of their stuff on here. So just be ready for that. A lot of shout-outs coming. All right, you ready? Let's do it. All right, we're here in Olivet, Michigan. I'm here with my good buddy, Joe Wilson. We're chilling at his house. What is going on? How are you? I'm good. I'm a lot better now that we're actually podcasting and not setting up for about 20 minutes. It took me a while to figure it out. See, I don't do any of these uh, podcasts where it's usually face-to-face. I've only done one, so I'm still, still a rookie in this regard. So thanks for bearing with me, Joe. No problem. He is very much a rookie. I can attest to that. But no, in all seriousness, thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be here. And, you know, whenever I get a chance to talk hunting, it's always a good time. So it's yeah. fun. What have you been up to lately? Have you been uh, doing some shed hunting or what's what's going on in the springtime in Michigan? No, not a whole lot of shed hunting. I did take a walk with my wife and our new son and didn't find anything. But I actually did find one shed this year uh, out in the backyard just for some background information I actually bought the house that Adam grew up in, so he's very familiar <laughs> with the property. I'm in a bizarro world right now. Yeah. It's so uh, anyway, um, out in my backyard area, there's a small patch of woods, and Adam left an old uh, 3D target out there, uh, you know, so it looks like a buck with antlers, and as I was going out to cut some wood one day, I noticed that it was knocked over, and I thought that was kind of peculiar, so when I went to investigate, I noticed that one of the false antlers from the deer actually looked pretty real and in fact it was a four-point side that a buck had it must have ran into the decoy and shed it and so yeah it was pretty amazing so right here yeah right out there 
So that antler that's laying on your mantle, that's from right there. Yeah, I told you I had a cool story. <laughs> I literally walked up and I was like, what in the world am I looking at? I picked it up and I looked it over and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the easiest shit I've ever found. So, Dude, that's the wildest thing. So you think it actually, like I've had that target sitting out there during the fall yeah. and it's been all bashed up. and It had to have because it was standing up like two weeks prior. I know it was because, you know, for you, those of you that don't know, there's a woodshed out there that I go to every morning every night to put wood in and uh i see that target all the time and it was just the one day i noticed it was knocked over so i don't think it was like you know charging it but i do think it was probably just trying to spar with it or something and i don't know knocked an antler off so dead serious that's exactly what happened so was, so anyway other than that um just getting ready for turkey season so practicing calling and whatnot but um you know, I'll do a little more shed hunting here soon, but uh, it's just tough in Michigan. As you well know, the deer just don't have very big antlers, so you'll walk all day and you might find a, a single spike antler or something. But it, Oh, yeah. But uh, got to have your expectations in, uh, in reality check for Michigan, which is kind of kind of why we're, we're talking about this and, and what Joey and I have kind of been from the beginning. We just kind of got fed up with <laughs> – not fed up. Michigan's always been a great – place to hunt and it's where we cut our teeth and you know where we grew up but it gets to a certain point when you want to start going after some different caliber deer and experience some different things you, you got to get out of state and that's the reality nice segue that's impressive Did you like that that was really good <laughs> i was going to try to do it myself saying that like this is the perfect time of year to start planning your out-of-state trips which i'm actually in the process of planning uh my three brothers my dad and another buddy i believe we're all going out to kansas at least we're hoping to in September. Um, for yeah, the you guys are doing muzzleloader. Right? We're doing early muzzleloader no. hunts. First time I've ever hunted in September, so it's going to be a very different trip that takes a whole lot of planning, as we're going to get into. Yeah, dude. You know what uh, popped up on my news feed today? It was our scouting trip to uh, to Ohio. Oh man! So you know, how, like Facebook does those like memories yeah. or whatever. So I was like, literally today. I, on uh, this morning, I was checking out Facebook, and it was our first, Joey and I's first, like, basically kind of out-of-state trip where we went down March 9th, five years ago, to kind of scout and start our process on the on the first out-of-state hunt. So, that was kind of, that was kind of funny. No, it is. And I think about that trip a lot, just because we so did. We a, cut our teeth. You know? Yeah. I mean, well, we did a lot of walking, and we had no mm. idea what we were looking for. I'm no not clue. saying we're experts now, but I just laugh. I'm like, <laughs> we would I mean, we were just, we're walking up these giant ridges of southern Ohio and Wayne National Forest, just staring around going, how in the heck did deer even get around here? These ridges are so big. And at least for me, I had no idea what I was looking at. But yeah, that was, that was a good time. And it, I like to remember that because it was like our first foray into a type of terrain that neither of us had any experience with. To this day, I tell everybody this that I talk with. It's like that hunting we did in southeast Ohio where it was Wayne National Forest, big woods, big timber, big uh, big ridges. That is some of the toughest hunting that I've ever experienced in my life just because there's there's hardly any funnels. Pinch points are terrain-based. Uh, there's not a lot of cover as far as like bedding areas. I don't. Maybe it's different for other people, but... That was that was extremely tough hunting, especially with the rolling wind or you know, winds always swirling with those big hills. I mean, would would you agree? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that's what I constantly am telling people. Um, you know, we've been lucky to hunt a number of different states for whitetails, and absolutely, uh, Southeast Ohio is is tough. And you know, a shout out to anybody out there that has any kind of success in that type of area where it's just big woods, huge ridges. 
you know, I would say smaller deer herds, less food. It's just difficult. And to, to be able to figure it out, it takes a long time. And we're on, you know, one week trips down there. It was tough, but I mean, at the same time, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. So we've hunted, I or sorry, Ohio. That was kind of what we first cut our teeth on. Then we've hunted Kansas. And then this last year we, we took our first trip to Iowa. So we've, not that we're experts on anything, but there is, you know, some experience that, and you, you learn some things after kind of, you know, doing it a few times. And, and some of like what we're talking about is, is necessarily, I mean, these are all kind of whitetail based trips that Joey and I have been on, but you can apply these to, you know, any hunt across any state to any species. There's a lot of the same kind of process that's involved and, who knows what the hell we're going to talk about today specifically. I mean, we've got some bullet points, but I mean, it's just, it's just something fun to do. And me and you have always been on the same page as far as like what our expectations are. I mean, growing up, I mean, Joey and I were, you know, close friends, but like, it's like when we actually like started hunting together, Mm -hmm. like that's when we're like, Oh yeah. Like we, we get it. We get each other. We're good hunting partners. We, we both want the same things and you know, it's just been awesome doing this with you, man. It's been a lot of fun. See, it's when you talk like this, that my wife wonders about like our relationship and what exactly we do on these hunting trips, but no, you're absolutely right. And yeah, I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, Adam and I went to the same high school and we were friends and whatnot, but not super close, but it was like, after we got out of high school and we both kind of connected, uh, Adam was a year younger than me and we were going to a college in the same town and we, you know, like I said, we, we were just both diehard hunters and that's what we lived for. And and yeah, I think it's an important point when you're talking about out-of-state trips is find someone who's on the same level you are. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be, oh, this person's super hardcore, because if you're not super hardcore, then you guys are going to clash. But I think, yeah, it's pretty accurate to say Adam and I are both pretty pretty hardcore, pretty into it. And um, But yeah, we've just gotten along really good on out-of-state trips. And I think that's why they've been so fun. You know, you hear horror stories from guys that... They take, you know, this coworker out on this out of street trip and it was a nightmare because all I wanted to do was lay in bed till 10 a.m. And, you know, so things like that. <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Like, choose your hunting partners wisely. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I've been I've been, been kind of thinking about like what it's kind of off topic here, but like what hunting means to me or like what hunting trips mean to me. Uh, <clears throat> I think there's just like too much just in our and hunting in general, but like too much in our daily lives that like everything's just like spoon fed to us. I mean, Alexa, order me this, Alexa, deliver me that. Uh, let me get in my truck and drive to my work where I sit in air conditioning all the time. And, um, I don't know. I just feel like for me as a person and in our society, like we are descendants of people who hunted and gathered. So for like people who are hardcore into hunting or, have that drive I just feel like it's something that's there and it's in a lot of other people too and like taking these trips and going out there and doing it it's kind of bringing you back into like what our ancestors did do you are you kind of on that same page too absolutely we've talked about before to me it's just that adventure you know and it's like I'll be the first to admit that I've I've gotten soft because of my lifestyle so I work for a pretty large corporation so I, I drive to the city every single morning and, uh, you know, I sit in my cube all day and I come home and it's like, you live that lifestyle long enough and you get soft. And so these hunting trips bring me back, like Adam was saying, like this, this, like this part of me, that's just instinctual, primal. very primal. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah. And, and I was like talking to Adam about like my favorite part of hunting trips is always towards the end 
where I'm finally like in hunting mode. I'm not thinking about like all these other things or like, oh, I wonder what's going on at work. Oh, I wonder what you know my mm-hmm. wife and son are doing. Like I'm always thinking about them, but you know what I mean? Like it was like the last day in Iowa where I think I told you, I was like, man, I was finally in hunting mode. It took me like six days, but I was finally there. And yeah, I think that's just an amazing experience. And the other thing that um, I like about them is you have to suffer a little bit, which I think is kind of almost like a lost art, the ability to suffer and just kind of carry yeah. on and, we and have like, it too easy. Yeah, exactly. Everything's like you said. I like your your spoon fed references, but uh, yeah, I think that's it's something that most people probably don't think about. They're so focused on the outcome and result of a hunting trip that they kind of forget that the experience itself of doing something outside your comfort zone is pretty amazing. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Um, and you touched on it too a little bit, but Fred uh, Bohm, who we had on the podcast a couple episodes back, he talked about that same thing. Yep. Like five days in, he's like, that's where that's where I've killed my most animals and that's where I get in that zone. And that's when you really kind of, you know, become, you forget about everything else. You forget about work life. You forget about, you know, the stresses of, of every everything else. Um, so that's funny that you mentioned that, which then triggered my mind to another thing. I've, one thing that I've kind of like <clears throat> taken away from these hunting trips that we've been on for one week, I almost think they're too short. Yeah. Because like you get in, you get in six days or five days and, um, you're on these out of state trips where you're just doing maybe from Saturday to Saturday that leaves you seven days. And then you've got some travel in between there, you know, day and a half, even two days of travel, um, total. I mean, you're only looking at really five solid days of hunting and, um, I don't know about you, but some of my future trips, like, let's say we go to Iowa again, I would like to have 10 solid days of hunting. Yeah, I think 10's good. And we talked about it when we were in Iowa where I was telling Adam, I mean, I was I was cashed by the end of that trip. And I think one mistake I made is I, I was hunting really hard in Michigan before we went to Iowa. So I, to be honest, I was already somewhat burnt out when I even got there. But um, yeah, we talked about it at the end. And But one point to that is when you say a 10-day trip, that doesn't, well, I guess you could, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to hunt hard 10 straight days. We were talking about like even just taking a morning off to kind of recharge is fine. Um, but then you're still like Adam said, you got three more extra days. And I think you're right because it seems like on these trips, we're always finally figuring stuff out in those last couple of days. We're we're into the nice deer or, you know, the good spots. We're seeing deer, we're seeing nice bucks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think 10 days is probably a a good solid, um, number that you're not going to get like completely cashed, but at the same time where you're going to have a really good chance of success. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just never, it's just never enough. It seems like, and that's one of the things I'm starting to see as a trend. And, and obviously I know it's, it's hard to take off 10 days to hunt. It's just not simple. It's even in, what I do. It's just not, it's not in the cards all the time. Cause you want to take multiple trips or you just got limited time. So there's that side of things too. Yeah, definitely. And I think you, I like your point about like taking time off. It's something I kind of wrote down. I just wanted to touch on and can you plug my articles for me real quick on your site? <laughs> you plug, man. You, All right. You take, take I wrote away. a, it's a two-part series on out-of-state hunts. And so a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about here is probably already in there and we'll definitely be adding some more. But one thing I talk about in those articles is um, two of the excuses I always hear from people um, when I get back from trips and I'm kind of letting people know, showing people pictures of everything that went on. They always kind of say like, oh man, I wish either that they had the time to do that or they wish they had the money to do that. 
And I always just kind of give them a kind of a weird look because I just think that those are kind of excuses. And I'll just touch on those real quick. So obviously with the cash, like the way we do our trips, I feel like is fairly like a fairly cheap route. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, we hunt either all public land and Adam's got some buy permission stuff, but we're not paying to hunt outfitters or anything like that. And we're trying to find cheap lodging. We're not eating out at five-star dining. And, you know, it's all these things. And so from our experience, I think most of these trips per person – Depending on where you're going, if you're going close, like we went to Ohio, it was probably less than five hundred dollars, all included. Oh yeah, cheap tag. I mean, cheap tag. It's probably some of the cheapest, or one of the cheapest states to hunt whitetail. Yeah, you know for sure at one hundred and fifty bucks, I believe it still is. And so you know, I, I talk about in the article, it's like, well, well, how bad do you want to hunt out of state trips? You know, it's like I'm not saying everybody's loaded and everybody's got great jobs, but when you think about all the the things that we waste our money on, like satellite TV or daily coffee at Starbucks, eating out. Um, maybe buying a new vehicle, you know, all these things add up to what you easily could be using on a trip. So I just find that hard to believe that people can't find the cash for that. And the other one is time. Totally understand. You know, like I said, I have a two month old son. And so I'm starting to find out real quick how fast your time gets sucked into a lot of different things. But, you know, even if you don't have a whole lot of vacation, I struggle to think that you can't at least take a couple long weekends to a state that's close by and just to experience something new. You know what I mean? Um, uh, there was a guy by the name of Andy May, I know his profile, I think, on the Wired to Hunt podcast, and he talks a lot about how he takes, you know, he'll leave Friday after work, hunt the whole weekend, and come back home uh, to the neighboring states. You know, you can do it that way, too. So I just think that I, I, would, I feel like I would struggle to find somebody that couldn't take some sort of out-of-state trip on a semi-yearly basis. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, where, where do your priorities lie? And that's Absolutely. really what it boils down to. And And like Joey said, everyone has family commitments and work life and you know all sorts of stuff going on and you know hey if it's not this year or this fall maybe start thinking down the road maybe two years or three years um i had a guy on the podcast his name was andrew honeycutt um where he talked about you know Hey, uh, it really opened my eyes when me and my dad started talking about these hunting trips a long time ago, but then he came down with cancer and that changes things and, and, and that changed his priorities. So not saying like something like that has to happen, but stuff like that does happen. And, um, you know, just figure out your priorities. And if it's not this year, you know, maybe it's two, three years down the road that you finally kind of go on that hunt. Yeah. And another thing for the married people out there with kids, I can tell you, my wife and I sat down and it's like, you sit there and you lay out everything on the table. And it's like, for me, it's like, okay, my priority is hunting and I want to take my hunting trip every single year and I want to be able to hunt and you know, okay, so I'm not going to golf anymore and maybe I won't do as much fishing. And so it's like, and for her, I'm asking her, okay, what do you want to do? And my wife likes to do soccer leagues. So there's like that give and take, okay, well, you can do your soccer league one or two nights a week during the summer if I can do my hunt. And so that way when hunting season comes around, she's not going to be on my case about how much time I'm spending in the woods. There's that give and take. I think that's, that happens in healthy relationships. And you best believe when, you know, August, September gets here, I'm going to be doing every single thing on that honey-do list and trying to get some projects done for her because you're trying to build up those brownie points so you can cash them in in a couple months. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And and uh, in your article, too, you kind of have uh, broken down as far as, like, a budget of, of like, uh, lodging, uh, gas, the tags, and stuff like that. I know for those whitetail trips, or a lot of whitetail trips, um, I'll post a link to that, those articles It's a two part series, I think. Right. Yep. So I'll post that in the show notes that, you know, people can, can look up or 
more easily get to, but in that guide I created for these Western hunts, it's on, it's kind of my freebie. If you subscribe right now, I kind of do the same thing. It kind of breaks down your lodging and fuel and tags for under a thousand dollars. But I mean, there's trips you can take, I think on that Ohio one, like you said, you can do it for 500 bucks or somewhere around there. I think if I remember it was 466 or something around there. Yeah. Less than 500 bucks, which I think, I mean, I wish it comes down to less than $10 a week. And like I said, I just, you can find something that you're spending money on that you can save 10 bucks a week on. So that's 40, $40 a month. So yeah, like I said, and you know, you could probably do them even cheaper than we did. Cause you could always just add a couple camp. guys. Yeah. Camp somewhere. Yeah. If you can get, cause uh, I only split this cost two ways, you know, if, so if you can get say three buddies together, yeah, that cost will go down. And, and since we're talking about money real quick, uh, just a couple other costs. Um, well, let me back up. So one of the first things that I think you got to do when you're, you're thinking about whatever trip you want to take, whether it's whitetails or any other kind of species is you got to pick a state. And I think what goes into picking a state first and foremost would probably be cost and like Adam said, uh, Ohio is a cheap state, although they just raised their tags, but it's still only, I think, $180 per uh, for a whitetail tag. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, you have Iowa, which we just went to, which we needed three preference <laughs> points to get in, which yeah. for 52 apiece, and the actual tag was 550 I'm talking 700 Yeah, over 700 bucks just 700, for the tag. Yeah, it's, it's expensive, very mm. expensive. But at the same time, it was the best a white tail country I've ever seen in my life. And I saw the biggest buck I've ever seen in my life. Granted, I only saw him for about six seconds. I was, uh, I was doing a, a kind of a scouting foray uh, late morning and I came up over the top of a ridge and I just kind of was sitting there looking around and all of a sudden I see a tail go up. It was a doe and behind her was a buck that I don't know what was on top of his head, but it was the whitest, thickest rack I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't tell you how big he he was huge, and, uh, you know, they just kind of trotted off. They are probably a little over 100 yards away. But anyway, um, so, you know, keep those things in mind. And the other thing I, I try to talk to people about when I go on these trips is you're going to see a variety of terrain depending, excuse me, depending on what kind of state you're going to. We talked about Ohio, southeast Ohio in general. Very big woods, large terrain uh, features there. Uh, we saw a lot of the same where we were at in southern uh, Iowa. Um, yeah, a lot of big woods, but a little mm. more farm country. But still, you're having to use terrain and learn how to use that, and then compare that to where we're at in you know central to western Kansas. It's just wide open prairies with river bottoms. Yeah, yeah, and I and it comes down to maybe like what experience you're after. Um, obviously, for whitetail, I mean you can you can hunt the open plains and spot and stalk, kind of like what we did in Kansas, or you can tree stand hunt in the big woods of Ohio or Iowa and kind of hunt. That's kind of a mixture of both, I guess. Mm -hmm. And uh, from what I've seen, um, and then as far as your Western hunts too, I mean, you can, you can hunt elk at tree line, uh, with a bow in your hand and be way up at elevation, but you can also hunt them in the rolling foothills at 7,000 feet, you know? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. it's like, what are you going after? Do you want, do you want to experience like some tent camping and kind of roughing it and in that whole experience or do you do you want something a little different um one thing i i took away from this last iowa trip i i just did not like stay not that i didn't like it but the hotel, the hotel, right? the hotel. yeah i hated it too yeah like in in times past where we've hunted ohio and kansas we've had we've stayed in these cabins 
and like there's something about like a little log cabin. But yeah, with, we're not talking, you know, mansion log cabins no. like you'll see on these home shows. It, these are very <laughs> rustic. Yeah, 20 bucks cabins. a night, you know, we were yeah, paying. Very cheap. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they have some amenities and whatnot, but like <laughs> <laughs> But you know, I mean, like it's just staying in that hotel was like I don't know. It it didn't really do it for me as far as like the experience. Would would you agree? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, shall we bring out the Shipambo is now the moment? <laughs> yeah, I recently wrote an article about that, but yeah, please do tell. I'll try to be brief. Uh, so yeah, this cabin, if you want to call it a cabin in Ohio, I mean, gosh, what was that thing? It was probably 15 <laughs> by 15 feet. Maybe. It was probably like 200 square foot. I mean, it maybe. was tiny, tiny, tiny. Literally, it had a bunk. Where did you even sleep? I don't remember there being three beds. Did you sleep on the table? I don't know. Dude. Oh my gosh, it we was were crammed so in there small. like sardines. Yeah, for so sure. Adam and his brother Phil and I. So anyway, but they had this bathroom that was I I, I can't explain it to people. It was the tiniest <laughs> thing I've ever seen in my life, and there was a toilet and there was a shower, but it was all in the same small area. So when you were sitting on the toilet, your feet were literally in what you would call the shower tub, which was probably. <laughs> three feet by three feet. And so as I'm sitting there one morning staring at the shower two inches from my nose, I'm like, this is the weirdest thing I've ever done. I could literally take a poop and shower all at the same time. And so when I came out and explained this fact to Adam and Phil, I thought, you know, so you can take a shipambo, the shower poop combo before you go on with your day. So it was just kind of a running gag. And I know it sounds really stupid, but it's just, I guess it's a good time to point out or like just the the fun little moments of these trips that you won't forget i mean this was five years ago and i still remember that oh yeah 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 it's it's the memories i mean <clears throat> as i grow older i mean obviously everyone goes on a hunting trip to shoot something right i mean that's why we hunt i mean we're not going out there to bird watch but at the same time i think when you take some of these trips you have to have the expectation or the realization that you could come home empty-handed and in a lot of cases which we were talking about <laughs> i got to stop hunting with you out of trip cuz i've yet to kill anything <laughs> well on- let's back up i pointed it out to adam as uh, we were kind of talking about our trips this year i said hey man i realized the other day that every trip you've ever gone out with me you've never shot anything <laughs> which i will take some of the blame for that but in my defense you've gotten shot at yeah, some animals yeah i've hit too, which makes me sound like I'm wounded animals, but it happens. Uh, it does happen, yeah. But, you know, like it's it's just like, and if you killed something and it took us, let's say we were on an elk hunt or whatever, if you were with a partner and he kills something, I would be more than happy to spend two days packing that thing off the mountain. And I, and I think that's comes back to your partner and going in with that mindset, but, um, you know, being on the same page. But at the same time, it's the experience, it's the memories, it's like the shit you think about five years ago and you laugh at and like the times we've spent with family. And now that we, you know, me and Joey, we don't live next to each other anymore, so we don't get to see each other a lot. So it's even more important that we do these trips and keep creating those memories and just stuff that you can pass down to your kids and, you know, hopefully grandkids someday, you know? No, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I when I first started taking these trips, obviously, the only thing you think about is bigger deer than what you're used to seeing and be able to knock one of those down and whatnot. But, you know, it's probably a combination of more hunting experience and just more life experience. And yeah, you start to cherish the memories a whole lot more than the deer heads. And, you know, I've got, um, 
uh, well, the buck here in this room actually is the buck I shot in Kansas is sitting up on the wall. Looks and real I, nice up there. <laughs> it does. He, it's a nice buck. Um, you know, it's no giant for anybody wondering, but he's, he's a nice, solid, big deer. That was a pain in the butt to drag him. We only had to drag him like 100 yards, but he was, he was, he, <laughs> Road he was a, hunting. just a big bodied deer, nice thick rack. But anyway, um, I, I look at that buck literally every single day, and I don't look at that buck and go, "Man, I sh-, you know I shot a nice little truck." I think about the fact that you know our my truck broke down at like <laughs> one in the morning on our way out there, and Adam and I had to spend the night in a rest area and get hauled into an auto zone and, and try to explain to the guys what was wrong with the truck versus them telling us. And you know, I just I think about like going out to this brand new landscape, and you know, like yeah, there's all these little memories, like these like. These moments where Adam and I were like, you know what? Screw it. We're going to go like a mile and a half into this public just to see what there is. And we're walking around this prairie. Literally, there's no trees within hundreds of yards. And I'm looking at Adam and going, we aren't going to see anything out here. What are we doing? And five minutes later, he's telling me to get down because there's two nice bucks up ahead. So it's all these things that go through my head every time I I see that buck. So, yeah, I I don't know. It's the memories for sure. For sure. Yeah. What, um, What else you got on that? on that kind of list we kind of talked about like planning and you know priorities and maybe setting a budget and and all that stuff what what kind of things go through your head as far as like planning and kind of taking that next step at maybe scouting or you know what are the next steps you go through yeah so just quickly to touch on lodging adam talked about you know these cabins and it's like i think a, a normal question would be well where do you find these cabins at and i would just say that use the internet google is your friend um, we ran into some people out in Michigan who actually had a cabin in Iowa that we were kind of jealous about. They said they literally just went to Craigslist in that area of Iowa and just searched for cabins, you know, and they said they found actually a couple of them. Uh, state campgrounds, we've had a lot of good luck in Kansas staying at state campgrounds and the cabins on those sites. Um, yeah, like I said, just search for cabins in whatever area that you're planning on going to and you can find those. So, you know, I, I spoke about, you know, picking a state. So after you've decided on what uh, what state you want to hunt, now it's time to find, okay, where are you actually going to hunt? And as we talked about, Adam and I have pretty much solely hunted on public land, and he's got some by-permission stuff. But uh, when you're talking about public land, these states have actually got really good websites nowadays that show really detailed maps of where exactly the public land is. And uh, I don't know, Iowa's um, basically got like a Google Earth type setup, and they have really nicely drawn boundaries about where all the public land is. And you can see not only aerials, but topo maps. Um, I was impressed with that. That actually was yeah. a really nice system that they've developed. And it's almost like Onyx Maps, you know, type, but like even better, like Onyx Maps paired with Google Earth, which was pretty sweet. Plug for Onyx. No, Onyx works really good. <laughs> I will say you got to be a little careful. There was some land in Iowa that showed as public, and I wasn't necessarily on X Maps' fault, but I went through a lot of trouble making sure it was public, and it turns out that it was just misrepresented on the local plat book. It wasn't on X's fault. But the other thing I was going to say is that piece we found that was a friggin' gold mine in Iowa has a lot of nice bucks on it that some locals shot some really nice bucks out of. Um, actually wasn't on, on X because it was newly purchased by the state, but it was on the state's website. So that's That's a good tip. Pro tip. Pro tip right there, man. Look at those state websites because those are going to be very accurate. And like I said, I love on X, but you know, it's just every once in a while, there's going to be something that they're going to miss. Yeah. Yeah. And to that point, I mean, you could even talk to, let's say a local, um, I don't know, would you talk with a local officer or a local like department? the natural resources office and be like, Hey, has there been any new newly acquired lands in this last year that might not show up 
you know, on an Onyx Maps platform, but would be listed on, you know, the, that state's website. So you never know. I mean, all you have to do is call and ask and they're going to tell you about that stuff. Absolutely. And um, like when I'm planning this trip currently for September, um, there's a fellow by the name of, well, I'm not going to give his name because it's my giveaway <laughs> location. There's a very nice gentleman who runs a couple of the, the um, public wildlife areas out in Kansas. And I've called him, I called him years ago when we first went out. I called him again this year because I was asking a lot of questions about, okay, what's it like hunting in September? What's the pressure like? What's the weather like? You know, what is the deer movement like compared to November? And he gave me a lot of really good information. And like Adam said, it's just a phone call. It took me 20 minutes of my time, but I think most people just kind of brush it off and say, ah, I'll just figure it out myself. Well, why not talk to a wildlife manager who's been out there for years? So, yeah. And then, sure. um, you know, it kind of, we can segue into like cyber scouting, um, you know, we we're already kind of talking about the maps and stuff, but as far as learning, I think the biggest hurdle I've had to get over when we're hunting out of state is understanding how to use terrain because we just don't have a lot of it where we hunt in Michigan. Um, just a couple plugs here for uh, the first one is for the hunting beast, <laughs> huntingbeast.com. Shout out to those guys. Um, Dan Infault is a pretty famous public land hunter out of Wisconsin, started the site, but not only is he on there, there's there's so many guys on there that just have so many years of experience, a lot of good knowledge on how to hunt terrain and how uh, animals use it. Um, I'll just throw in there, like, find out what a thermal tunnel is. That, like, blew my mind when you kind of start to understand how bucks use that. And the other thing that really helped me was a book by Brad Herndon called Mapping Trophy Whitetails. He was uh, born and raised in, um, I think it was southern Indiana. And he just does a great job of explaining how to read topo maps and things like that. And so when you start to understand that, I think it's going to cut down your scouting a lot because you can do all this scouting online before you even arrive at these locations. And you can you know, figure out these saddles um, and all those other kind of terrain features that uh, tend to um, pinch deer. And you're going to be able to just go right to there and see if there's any sign. And it's going to really speed up um, you know, your scouting and your success yeah. on trips. So Yeah, and, that, and like – about those forums and everything, you're not going to get somebody that tells you like specifics like, oh, you need to hunt this tract of land on, you know, this unit. But I will say like a lot of those forums do give a lot of like local intelligence. Like if you ask a question like what terrain features are you looking for or, you know, what what type of food sources are they hitting at certain types of the year? Um you know, like in Ohio is like, I heard like something like a couple benches down, like they've got all these benches on these, on these ridges, but like two benches down or one bench down or something like that. Like, it seems like those bucks like to cruise and, you know, you go out there and you kind of zone in on stuff like that, but you're not going to get like super detailed information on like where to hunt. And this is where I shot this buck and you should go here, but you're going to get a lot of good stuff off of those forums. And in, in that regard, I never understood who would want that. We're back yeah. to the spoon feeding thing. Yeah, I don't know exactly. what Like, like to me, part of the fun of, of shooting whitetails is well, shooting anything is the, the challenge. Fa- the challenge you had to go through all these steps yeah. to get that thing, and I, I don't know, it, you just lose me so quick if people are just handing me stuff like, "Well, just go sit in this stand." It's like ah, I, <laughs> the whole time I'm be looking at that animal and be like, "I really didn't earn this," and this is just me talking. Like I'm not trying yeah. to rip on how other people hunt, but I just like the challenge of that. So figuring it out, yeah, it's just it's more of the theory than anything. So yeah, uh, cyber scouting will save you so much time. Um, uh, one other note about Kansas. Um, so they have your traditional public land, but they also have what they call WEHA, which stands for walk-in hunter access, which is private ground that the state leases. And these lands can change from year to year, but, um, they have a, an online resource and they also have an app for smartphones as well. And that is extraordinary as well. 
And I'm telling you, those Weeha lands, I've never seen another hunter on them when we've been on them. Yeah, yeah. And I, those show up on Onyx, too. Do they? I, yeah, okay. yeah. So that's that's nice. It used to be before, you know, I keep hating to say Onyx, but I do use it all the time. But I used to have to, like, cross-reference based off that app and, like, where we were at. So it was kind of tough. But, um, yeah, that the Weeha and, like, those privately owned uh, lands that are walk-in access, that's it's a pretty sweet deal, and a lot of them get overlooked. Yeah, they do. And um, kind of brings me to my next point that I tend to point out to people is what I'm looking for and what everybody should be looking for. You're looking for access that's going to be tough for other hunters to get into. The main one that's a barrier to entry is water. So you want to bring, at the very least, bring some uh, waders. You know, shoot, the guys will bring boats just to be able to access, which is a great way too. But you're looking for just, you know, overlooked access points we found one in iowa i don't want to give too many details but it was just <laughs> overlooked i don't i mean we, we saw a couple hunters back there but it was a freaking gold mine um for just deer sign and everything like that and it's just because people didn't understand that you could access this at a certain point all i'll say is you couldn't tell it from the road you couldn't access it that's what it looked like on the map but there was a way you could access it so yeah just look for those different types of things that um that are going to be overlooked yeah, for sure. And that, and when I, uh, we hunted when I got that shot on that buck in Kansas, mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't that far off the road. I mean, yeah, it was pretty far, but uh, it was like a mile and a half off. the Well, road, right? but like what deterred a lot of people was that, you know, river yep. that kind of went through there and we got across that and you get over into some land that's kind of untouched. But like you said, it, sometimes it just takes a, uh, some barrier to entry, mm -hmm. whether that's a river or a, a lake or, you know, a deep swamp or a steep hill climb, uh, you yep. can lose a lot of people just with that and you don't have to go super far off the road. No. And oh man, I'm kind of a wuss when I go off the road. Like I don't mind doing it, but I, if I don't have to, I don't want to. And so, yeah, I love those things. Like, well, there was a place in Iowa, we never hunted it, but we looked at it. There's a river right next to the road. And if you had some hip waders, which we both brought, you just walk across the river, stash your waders and then you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, in Kansas, do you remember that you actually, the water went over both of your boots? We spent like 10 minutes trying to find like the perfect area to cross. Okay, it's nice and shallow. And somehow Adam found the only hole in this part. And so he's, he's I was wet the rest of the oh, day. Oh, yeah. We were lucky. It was probably like 65 degrees that day. But Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Memories, man. It's memories. Yeah. Well, what was cool about that trip is I had shot my buck like the second day. And so the rest of the trip, I had a, a, um, a digital camera with me. And so I was filming Adam. And so, yeah, we got some really good footage of some of that. I wonder if we could pull that up and even throw the throw some little video link out there. No, so, it's uh, it's on my YouTube oh, is it? channel. Yeah, it's like Kansas deer hunting if you go to. Yeah, but I'm talking about like, actually, I remember having video of you walking up and I was kind of like giving, you know, your typical like home video play-by-play. -play <laughs> I was like, Adam just got drenched, his feet or something. Oh, you're talking about that. Got it. Yeah, like I don't, you don't have that in the video. No, but, no. I don't know. It's just fun to look back on, so. <laughs> So, uh, so we talked about scouting and, and digital scouting. We talked a little bit about earlier, we touched on like, we've taken some trips to go, we didn't do it for Kansas, but we did it for both Ohio and Iowa where we went out there and actually like took scouting trips. And we were talking about this before the podcast. We haven't felt like they've really paid off. And, um, you know, I've written about it in some articles like, yeah, you know, it is nice to get the lay of the land and it is nice if you can take that scouting trip. But when we were discussing before, it's kind of an unneeded, it's a luxury. Yeah. Like if you want to do it, great, but you don't have to and stuff changes between spring and fall and with the resources that you have, like you talked about, um, 
scouting and like some of the stuff that's on these different states' websites, man, you, you really don't need to. And I mean, at the end of the day, it goes back to like, you know, the time and money constraints. I mean, most people probably don't even have, like you said, it's a luxury. So you don't have the time and money to do it anyway. But I definitely don't think it's necessary to have success. I mean, yeah. It, yeah. I mean, and I think there's probably people that do it better than we have. <laughs> but I don't know. Yeah. It's just like we were talking. I mean, these areas we scouted both in Ohio and Iowa, we never ended up hunting any of them. <laughs> so we ended up getting there in the fall and we're like, let's go check out this area. Oh, this area is so much better than what we were looking at in the spring. Let's hunt here. But Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess there is something to play with that. You kind of knock off some different... We definitely found some places where we didn't want to hunt. Yeah. For sure. It's about um, all we found. But. Yeah, but it wasn't like we showed up. We are like, yeah, we're going here. And then that goes back to, you know, having the time and getting in five days and really learning it. But... That's a different topic. So we've talked about scouting and scouting trips. What's uh, what's kind of next on your agenda here? So but when I was getting into these out-of-state trips, it always bugged me that people were just so high-level and they were saying, oh, you know, do this, do that. And so I would ask them, I'm like, no, literally, like, what are you doing the first day you get there? And where are you going after that? Like, I wanted kind of like more specific examples. So I'm going to try to do that as far as like what we've done. And as we said before, you know, we haven't been like the most <laughs> successful, but I feel like we've always gotten into good deer. Yeah. You know? We've always yeah, saw. Yeah. So anyway, this, this is what we've done. The first day should absolutely, if you're on a week trip, it's just scouting. That first day, you have to nail down multiple areas in order to scout. And I think scouting depends on the type of terrain. We're back to the type of terrain. When you're in big woods areas, you're going to have to take your digital scouting where you found kind of those spots you thought might be pinch points, and you're going to have to do a lot of walking. And it's tough to to you know, kind of tread that line of, okay, I got to make sure I find these spots without ruining them. But I think if you just move slow and you use your binoculars a lot and kind of keep an eye on sign, um, you can really do it. We did it pretty well in Iowa. I mean, the first day I was there, I found a group, one of the most amazing scrape lines I've ever seen. I found 20 scrapes and probably a, gosh, 200 yard long strip. I mean, literally every 10, 15 yards, it seemed like I was finding a scrape. And so once I found that, I got out of there and I'm like, okay, this is a dynamite area. And not only us, but another hunter we ran into had a good amount of success there. So that's kind of the big woods type area. And then when you're in an area like Kansas, where you can see a long ways, we do a whole lot of driving that first yeah. day. A lot of glassing, a lot of driving, because that's going to be your best bet of, you know, you're always going to see deer in those type of areas, but you're trying to zero in on, okay, where is there actually like pretty good looking bucks at and what you're after? Well, and, you know, with that too, driving around showed us, whether you're in big woods or, you know, states like Kansas where it's a little open, where are the other hunters at? Because a lot of times you're not showing up, you know, a couple of days before, let's say you're hunting a, a rut time frame. There's going to be other people out there hunting. So at least you can see, you know, here's where people are parking. People are touching this, but you know, Hey, we checked out this spot. No one's parked there. Um, there's a lot of that that kind of goes, you know, into pressure and playing off of what other people are doing too. Absolutely. Um, I had the chance to hunt Indiana. My brother lives down there and we hunted there for muzzleloader one year. And so there's a whole lot more pressure out there than some of the other areas we've seen. And then you're exactly right. That's what we were doing. We kept driving around going, nope, two trucks at that parking area. We're getting the heck out of here. And, and it was a really tough trip. Um, we didn't have a whole lot of success, but I'll tell you what, yeah, we, we, we had zero success of seeing deer whenever we saw vehicles. So that's a great point is you're always on the lookout for other hunters, but um, states like Kansas and Iowa up to this point, I know they're getting, especially Kansas is getting a lot more popular. We're seeing more pressure there, but you don't have to worry about it as much, but it's still something to keep in mind. Um, one thing I, I like to point out to people too, is when you're going to these other states, there's so much stinking public land. I mean, you're talking tens of thousands of acres in, you know, a drivable distance. And a lot of times 
don't worry about like bumping deer, maybe like burning out a spot. You've got a week. So you got to be pretty aggressive in my opinion. Like, yeah. You, you know, you, you see these guys in these hunting shows cause they're on these, um, these ranches out there, you know? And so they're saying like, Oh, I'm just going to sit an observation sit. You don't have that luxury when you're on an out of state trip in a brand new area. Like I said, when I found that sign the next morning, I was right smack dab in the middle of that sign, you know? Yeah. Um, and then when that didn't work out, I'm moving deeper in, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think you have to be aggressive. Yeah, and you got to adapt. And, you know, that buck there sitting on the wall yeah, was... pointing to my buck. <laughs> I'm pointing to his buck right now. That is That buck came from our scouting oh, on absolutely. the first day. Yep. Because we, we basically drove around, and that first morning we saw a lot of activity, or at least bucks crossing this one spot is basically like a pinch point or, you know, a woodlock coming together. And it really wasn't that far off the road. I was just going to say that. It was like 120 yards off the road. You, and you could see it. Yeah. And it was like we were looking at it going, this is too easy. Like it's the ideal pinch point of yeah. two creek bottoms coming together. Like there's no way nobody else is going to see this. Yeah. I would have overlooked it. I mean, just just that mentality of like, oh, it's too close to the road. Like you got to go way back in. Like no, like what we saw that morning clued us in to put a stand right there if we went in that night and you killed that deer and then uh adam went back there with another buddy of ours the next year and they shot another nice buck in the exact same area so, yeah yeah hung a stand right near where joey killed his and he went in there and and killed a really nice buck so i mean it's just like drive around as much as possible learn as much about not only the hunting pressure but like what you might see i mean sign is one thing but what we've learned too is like especially on public land what is happening that day yep. and you got to react to it that day because tomorrow it's a different story because i went that back remember i went back yep. there and hunted it <laughs> and it was dead you know like the rest of the week so well, it was funny the next morning adam went back there and uh since i had already shot my buck i drove about a half hour away to this other spot we were and i watched uh, a non-typical what do you think? I don't know. I just want to it's try to give people an idea. 160s. Probably 160s it's buck. In the, it's really, in the video. Really thick. It's in this video if you watch. Really thick, gnarly looking buck. He had sort of a drop tie at the end. So anyway, I park and I'm just kind of sitting there glassing. And this buck beds down with a doe probably a little over 100 yards away. And um, I'd be downwind, or, yeah, I'd be downwind of him. So it was like a perfect stalking opportunity. <laughs> and I'm just sitting there going, gosh, dang it. And so, like I said, it was a half hour to go pick Adam up and a half hour back. So we tried getting back there and it just didn't work out. But um, yeah, it's an excellent point. Cause I remember texting you thinking you'll probably see stuff. You're like, I haven't seen anything all morning. And I'm like, well, I'm looking at a 160 <laughs> class buck that's bedded down right now. <laughs> I wish you were here. That's like a, how it goes, It's like a man. postcard scenario. Wish you were here, Adam. <laughs> That's hunting, man. Seems like you're always playing cat and mouse, but that's why we do it, you know? Another key point I always, at least my personal philosophy, and a lot of guys I talk to that have had success out of state, is keep moving. Like, you should not get hung up on one spot. Like, I'll admit if you have, like, a really good sit, sure, give it one more sit. But, man, I don't know, more than two sits at the exact same spot, I just, I won't do it personally. And your dad's buddy who shot a 160-class buck in Iowa, I remember him saying he won't sit the same spot more than once he always has two stands set and so in the morning he'll sit one and then he'll move it after the morning sit and then the other go stand the other he, one. and he'll go hunt the other one and he said that's how he works on these hunting trips it's just constantly moving and i think and he has a lot of success yeah yeah chuck's a good hunter and and back to the the scouting thing i mean he basically pinpointed a spot on the map using topography and kind of these pinch points that he was seeing 
he actually on that Iowa hunt where he killed that, it was like a 167, I think. Oh, yeah, that's a nice buck. I mean, he went in, I think, first first day, maybe second day, and, and killed that deer. So a lot plays into your scouting and, and learning how to read that. But um, like Joey said, you got you to gotta keep moving. You can't get hung up. And that's that's kind of what we did in, in Iowa. Well, oh, yeah. we've done it on a lot of trips, but that's what, what we did in Iowa. We didn't really get hung up on a, too much on same spots, you know? Yeah, no, I didn't sit the same spot more than twice. There was one spot I sat twice because I thought it was a really good hub. Um, so it's a spot where a number of ridges come together, but I sat that twice, but other than that, kept moving. Um, and the other thing is, uh, so I remember on this Kansas trip, I was going into it with way too high expectations and it was the second day and I was literally already getting frustrated because we'd only seen a couple of shooter bucks, which looking back, I'm like, we actually did really well for never being there. Oh, yeah. But I remember saying to you, I was like, I'm just kind of getting frustrated. I thought we'd see more out here. I ended up shooting a buck on the second day. And I look back <laughs> and I'm like, you were such an idiot. Like, are you kidding me? That amount of success in your very first trip there? So, like, go in with standards that are, like, realistic. And the other thing is just don't get frustrated. Just kind of keep at it. Um, you know, it'll work out for you if you, if you kind of, like I said, keep moving, you know, keep doing your scouting and stuff like that. You'll eventually run into deer. We always have on all these trips with maybe the exception of Ohio the first time we went, but you know, Adam went back to Ohio, was that a year or two later? And he actually had quite a bit of success getting into deer. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that says a lot of like maybe going back to the same spot, you know, more than once. I mean, you just know it. I mean, we experienced the same thing in Kansas. I mean, if you can hunt a place a couple years in a row and I'm all for trying out new spots and I want to hunt different States, but you really start to learn a, a property, even public land after you've been there a couple years or at least one year. Cause you know, you can eliminate a lot of spots and you can zone in a little bit further on the details that you kind of learned from the, from the first trip. Oh, absolutely. And so with anything else in life with experience, you're just going to keep getting better at it. And, um, but yeah, I just, I, I try to caution people like, you know, I just get so sick as I get older or not older, but just the more I watch of like hunting TV and you realize like, it's just so unrealistic. These types of hunt they're on and you it's cloud tough your... to watch TV anymore in general. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I absolutely agree. If I have to watch another episode of the bachelor, honey, if you're listening, I swear to God, <laughs> I was talking hunting shows, Joey. Sorry. Sorry. Off topic. Still frustrated about having to watch it this week. What's his name? Ari, A-R-I-E. Sorry. Anyway. Um, Back to hunting. Uh, gosh, what anyway, else you got? Hunting TV, yeah. It's just, don't, like, ah, gosh, like, it clouded my judgment so much about, like, what you should expect. Like, you should expect to see a lot of deer in a lot of these states. You're going to see, you know, fairly large number of, like, three-and-a-half-year-old and older bucks and that, like, 120 class and above. But, you know, it, to say you're going to go to a state and shoot over 150 class buck, 160, I think it's just unrealistic a lot of times, especially when you only got a week. Um, not saying not to do it, but I don't know. I think it's more fun. When we went to Iowa, I kept telling all the locals that we talked to them, like, man, if I see something over 120, I'm letting an arrow fly. <laughs> and they look at you like you're crazy. And they're like, man, we got a 160 rule on our farm. I'm like, well, it's a good thing I'm hunting public land because <laughs> he's going down if I see him. Well, when you come from Michigan, I mean, a 120 is actually a really good deer. And um, it's just what – go in with realistic expectation, I guess is what I'm, what I'm saying or what we're both saying. It's yep. like, yeah, did I want to shoot a booner in Iowa this year? For sure. But I wasn't about to pass like a, a 140. I mean, or even a 130. I mean, that's where I'm, I sit. I'm not, a, I don't have hundreds of, or not hundreds, but I don't have a wall full of bucks to, to kind of 
you know, look at. I, I got to lower my, not lower my standards, but have, just have realis, realistic expectations of what's going on and just go out there and hunt and have fun. Lower so your about. standards. I thought we were starting to get into your dating life for a second. It's like, <laughs> no, let's, a second. Not, let's not go there. You got on me about The Bachelor. Now we got The Bachelor with Adam Parr. <laughs> no, we're not going there. We are not going there. Well, the other thing, while I'm thinking about it, is um, <laughs> uh, the statute of limitations is probably up on this. Uh, I could have got a very hefty fine when I took my buck back from Kansas because I didn't realize that you're not allowed to transport anything except boned out meat, a cape, and just the antlers back to Michigan. And that's because of the rise of CWD. And so people need to be very cautious um, about coming. I know in Michigan, you literally cannot bring a deer back from any other state now because of it. So... You know, like I said, just keep that in mind. You can't just bring the carcass back. I don't think a lot of people know that. And like I said, really hefty fines. So, you know, learn how to quarter out your and clean your own deer. And, um, you know, caping is a little more difficult. I definitely have never done it myself. But uh, taxidermist that's a cousin of mine was telling me that, it, you know, you can learn it fairly quickly. But either learn how to cape your buck or find a local taxidermist to do it before you go home. Save you a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in Kansas, when I shot my buck, I paid a taxidermist to cape it out and, you know, do that. But if I could have done it myself, I would have saved. I think I, I think he charged me like 150 bucks or something Whoa. or 100 bucks. But really? yeah, expensive. I mean, but you know, when you're when you're there and you don't want to ruin your trophy, you, you want to pay it. But yeah, to save some money, like Joey said, I mean, we talk about a lot of these costs that that go into actually like the hunt itself but you do have to think beyond that like if you do get something game processing um and and dealing with that potential cape if if you do get something you want to mount so something to think about for sure and keeping your meat cool is another huge one i mean we yeah. the day we went to kansas the first time i think the high was 13 degrees and the day we left it was close to 60 and that's just how kansas is it's all over the place but I mean, we had luckily enough coolers to keep everything cold, but if we didn't, that would have spoiled that meat. I mean, that was a, that's like a 13-hour drive for us, 14 hours. It was a yeah. long drive. Um, you know, that's easily going to spoil meat in that kind of weather. For sure, for sure. What else you got on that list Just, over there? Uh, it's pretty much all my notes. I did prepare for this podcast. You're welcome. And, it's a good uh, thing you did because I wasn't about yeah, to. Yeah, I know. Adam was over here just like, oh, what do you want to talk about now? Um, anyway, I just had a few more notes that I've just uh, I've kind of taken on myself. Is like when you're preparing for these trips, say during the summer months and you know getting ready to go, at least for me, the way we're wired, we're always kind of thinking about the fall. And I think a lot of, if you're listening to this podcast, I can almost guarantee you are too. So the first one being physical. You know, as far as like these whitetail hunts, I wouldn't say they're overly physical, but I, I do think if you're in better shape, it's just going to be a whole lot easier for you to take that pounding because, you know, you get pretty worn out if you're hunting hard. Oh, yeah. It's, it's tough. So, you know, trying to stay, you know, I'm not saying you got to be Cam Haynes out there, but just do some cardio, maybe do some light lifting. But I did, you know, I've really kind of got into a lot of body weight exercises, push ups, pull ups, even just unweighted squats but you know just keep moving you know keep your body moving and that way when the fall comes you're ready for anything that's going to get thrown at you um as far as like shooting your bow you know we're talking about archery trips for the most part um yeah you know i think anybody that's serious about it probably shoots a lot but i just think you need to be shooting at least a few times a week i had an excuse at work from a guy saying yeah i really want to you know i'd like to get into archery but i just don't have enough time and once again i'm like you don't have enough time like in my opinion, you can be a fairly good archer shooting, what, 15 minutes a few times a week? Like, who doesn't have 15 minutes a day to go out and throw some arrows at a target? Like, yeah. 
Yeah, and extend those ranges too, it, especially no. if you're hunting west or You've been Kansas. reading my notes because that's what <laughs> I'm I, was not, going I can't next. even see your computer. You know what? You just stay over there, right? <laughs> my next point was extend your range. Look to shoot to, I try to go all the way out to 100 yards, and I'm not the greatest archer in the world, but I've been getting a lot better because I shoot at those ranges. I'll agree with that. Ah, whatever. <laughs> Woundy McWoonderson over there. And uh, But anyway. Um, yeah, I went two for two this year on bucks. I know you're no a better. Wounded. You're a better hunter than me. I will admit that. Whoa, okay. Go there. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it. <laughs> but anyway, just uh, you know, and the other thing is make it fun. Shoot with some buddies. Get some competition uh, going, so that way your heart gets beating a little faster. Um, the other thing I like to do is I'll take just like a you know, like a thirty yard sprint away, thirty yard sprint back, or do some burpees or something, and then try to shoot. Um, just you know, mix it up so that you know shooting stays fresh. But basically, what I'm getting at is shoot your bow a lot, especially during the summer. I try to pull it out a number of times a week, uh, late in the day, so I get used to shooting in a low light, and just go out and shoot. It doesn't even have to be a lot, maybe 20 arrows, like, you know. So do that, and the other thing that we've already kind of touched on, but I really do think it's super important, is just the mental aspects of an out-of-state trip. You will run yourself ragged mentally if you don't go in with, like, what you talked about, like the right expectations of not only, like, the deer you're going to see, but of how you're going to hunt, how much you're going to be able to hunt, the fact you might need to take a morning off just to kind of refresh yourself. Just that, and the other thing is success isn't always dead animals. We've hit on that a lot when we're talking here, but it's just so true. Just take in everything. When we were in Iowa, the thing I kept noticing is just these woods were absolutely some of the most beautiful I've ever seen. And probably 80% of the trees, at least, were oak trees. I've never seen that before. Yeah, it was a sweet terrain. Oh, my gosh, it was gorgeous. And it's like you talk to these locals, and I'd say, oh, my gosh, you guys, this terrain and everything out here is just beautiful. And they just kind of look at you because, you know, they see it every day, and they're like, yeah, it's all right. But I thought it was just absolutely beautiful. And and just taking those moments to kind of take all that in, um, I think, like I said, going in with that mindset that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all these other things other than just focus on hunting, I think will really kind of keep you fresh mentally. One thing that I forgot to bring up, which was probably my one of my biggest takeaways from Iowa, the guys that we met um, hunting out there, they, one of the other guys went and went around like the first day and even continually throughout the hunt, he went around and started knocking on doors, private land. Um, if you're exclusively public, that's cool. But at the end of the day, we all want to kill something. And what I realized from being out there and from what they were able to do, they got access to some farms for no money and <laughs> relatively easy. And the one guy, um, he went in, what was it? He went in the first morning and killed a 180. Yeah. Like, literally, he knocked on this lady's door. She had, like, not a huge track of land. What, like, 100 acres? 180 yeah, acres? I never heard a lot of specifics. <laughs> I just hope but, you're being real delicate here because this, but, they, they ran into a gold mine. I've never seen any property like it before. Yeah, I mean, no one's ever going to really be able to pinpoint off no, of that. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like That was my biggest takeaway, especially for Iowa. Um, I've seen it firsthand with Kansas as well. It's not that hard to get access. Don't be afraid to go knock on some doors. I think I, I – re- not regret, but like, I wish I would have taken a half a day and just, we should have just driven around and, and just knocked on some doors, at least get a lay of the land a little better. And you never know, they might let you in and yeah. you might kill a booner. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it was, it was amazing. We met these really nice guys from Michigan. You know, I'm still in touch with one of them. Um, just super 
helpful guys. That's the other thing, I guess. When we were out in Iowa, I mean, we were talking to locals who were like kind of helping us out, pointing us in the right direction, even though they were already hunting out there. You know, there's only a few of them, but I just was amazed at like on public land, the amount of people that are helping each other out. And it's the same thing with these guys we ran into from Michigan. We were kind of helping each other out. Um, yeah. What are you seeing? What's going on? Yeah. Over what are you here? guys seeing over there, man? Well, I'm seeing this over here. What did you see over there? And we were just sharing information because. In my opinion, we're all kind of in this together, and if their success is our success. But, but yeah, Adam was right, man. I, I will say I regret it, man, because when they found that land, you know, so he shot a 180-class buck the very first morning. He went in blind. And then he, another the guy, another one yeah. in their party shot about 160-incher, and they found a gut shot buck on that property that, I don't know, that had to have gone close to one side. That was a booner. Oh, yeah, it was a booner. And so that, those three bucks all on the same property, I can't remember how big it was. It wasn't a huge track of land, but it was just they knocked on a door and got permission, and they just ran into a gold mine. I mean, you're talking about land that probably is better than most of the other private land that we heard guys talking about. You know, it's just amazing. Better than some leases, you know, people pay thousands of dollars for that type of terrain. And like I said, it's a simple door knock. Lady wants every deer dead or as many deer dead as possible. And, you know, they lucked into it. And But it's through doing, going the extra mile and, and thinking outside the box. I mean, I was kind of constrained. Oh, I got to hunt public land and whatever. But I mean, just go a little extra. You never know what you might run into. Yeah, absolutely. And and that wasn't the only property they had permission to hunt. They actually got some permission uh, close to the public we were on as well. Uh, so I, it seemed like they had really good success with uh, with picking that up. And, and like I said, I'm just really delicately kind of dancing around this. I don't want to give too much information because <laughs> these guys, like I said, were super nice and helpful with us. And, and they did the work, and so I don't want to give away too much. But it, it's, I guess, yeah, my main point of all this would be it's it's extremely possible, a lot more possible than I originally thought because I did a little bit of like cold calling, which is probably not the best way to do it for Kansas. <laughs> and I got hung up on, I get yelled at. Uh, I talked to one fellow who was talking about how I should talk to this guide who leases out his land. I mean, just didn't have much, much success with it. So I kind of just put it away, but yeah. I mean, you had a lot of success in Western Kansas getting the Oh yeah. Too, so. Yeah. Like I said, you just gotta put yourself out there and you never know what'll happen. And the main thing to all of this, to so the whole theme of this podcast just go on the hunt i mean you're not going to regret it yeah it costs some money and it's not exactly cheap and you're going to have to take vacation time and you're going to have to spend time away from family but if it's something you really love and it's where your priorities lie you got to get out of state you got to experience some of these different things and said it's we're only do this once so you might as well do it right and create some memories and have a little fun. So just get out there and plan a hunt, go do it. You're not going to regret it. Absolutely. I mean, we only get so many falls, right? And we all sit there and you you wait all year for like that two weeks in November. And yeah, you only get so many of those, those, uh, those two week buckets to go do something. So yeah, you hit on it a lot. And the other thing that you made me think about is like, it's stressful. It really is like all the planning and making sure you got everything and you get out there and you I hope, you know, I got to find them and you know, um, so it is stressful, but the other thing, uh, we talk a lot about is, um, Steve Renault on his podcast, they talk a lot about like the different types of fun. I think they refer to it as type two fun, which yep. I think just hits it right on the money where sometimes those, sucks. those days are rough, man. There was a yeah. couple really rough days when we were in Iowa, whether it was like losing deer or not seeing anything or gosh, I don't even remember now because like you tend to forget the bad stuff a lot of times. But what I'm saying is you look back on that and all you see is like, man, that was so much fun, even though at the time it might've sucked for a day or two. So yeah, yeah, totally worth it. And 
yeah, it, that's that's the thesis of this whole thing. It's just just do it and, and at least give it a shot. And I'm not saying everybody's gonna love it, but man, I've never regretted taking an out of state trip. For never. sure. Well, cool, man. It's been fun. It's been fun chatting with you, and I think uh, you know a lot of people will get some takeaways from this. And again, this is a little bit more whitetail focused, and I know I'm supposed to be a little bit more western big game, but you know, again, this stuff can be applied anywhere, and uh, you know take what you want from it but it was a lot of fun sitting down with you man yeah like i said i appreciate you having me on here and you western guys man like you just think you're better than us <laughs> i'm better guys. than you yeah this guy you know grow up with him whatnot he moves out to colorado all of a sudden he's mr western guy oh, i know we're talking about whitetails guys bear with me it's you stupid whitetail guys I don't know anything oh man good time so cool man well i appreciate it we'll get you back on at some point and uh it's fun hanging with you yeah hopefully i can make it out to colorado we can do a podcast out there be fun Sounds good. And there it is, another episode in the books. That was a lot of fun hanging out with my buddy Joe Wilson. <laughs> Sorry about the dog there at the end. It was it was uh I don't know if Kara, his wife, had just gotten home, but uh going a little wild there at the end. So apologies on that. I'll make sure to smack Joey the next time I see him in person. I'm coming for you, Joe. All right, yeah, that was that was too much fun. Can't wait to do it again. And a lot of good takeaways from that. Hope hope you guys learned something. You learned from <laughs> a lot of our trials and tribulations of Joey and I's hunting trips over the years. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to take in. So um, hope that was useful. I think the biggest takeaway takeaways um, one just go out there and do it. Hope this inspired you to take that out of state trip for the first time. If you haven't done one before, it's definitely not something you're going to regret. And the other thing is go knock on some doors, get some access to some private land because you never know. You never know. It could be just, um, you know, a way to access, not necessarily hunting that property. It could be, you know, you just need to access through their property to maybe get to a chunk of public behind it. So keep that in mind. It's, It's one thing that's overlooked and seems like it's nearly impossible, but if you knock on enough doors, take a half a day and drive around, you never know what you might luck into. All right, that is it. Let's let's wrap this thing up. But before we do, make sure you're um, subscribed to Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network. If you're liking what you're hearing, leave us a five-star review. Remember, I'm on the Western Big Game feed. There are two feeds, the Whitetail and the Western Big Game So make sure you're aware of that and follow me there. Follow me on Instagram at Transition Wild, Facebook Transition Wild, and make sure you go to TransitionWild.com. We still have our freebie. It's basically a PDF guide that I've created that, you know, basically highlights five DIY hunts that you can do with you and a friend for under $1,000. So I break down five hunts across the West pronghorn, mule deer, elk, um, some whitetail, western whitetail in there as well. So make sure you check that out. Go to transitionwild.com, subscribe, and I will send that to you for free. For free. For free. So do it. You won't regret it. All right, that is it. Until next time, I appreciate the support, and we'll talk to you later.